the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul's team turns around after God shows them not to go where they were heading. Then Paul receives a vision of a man of Macedonia saying, Come, we'll pick it up in Acts chapter 16 verse 4. Once again, that's Acts chapter 16, verse 4. Acts 16. Remember the whole theme of the book of Acts is that Jesus is still working. He's still directing his servants where he wants them to go. And the Lord is still doing great things. And you know that encourages me so much because we fall short, don't we? So he takes Timothy, has him circumcised, and verse 4, as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep. I love that, for to keep. This message of grace, these letters that were sent from Jerusalem, this message of grace, it wasn't a temporary compromise that someday we'd go back to doing it that way. It was the liberty for all believers for all time, except poor Timothy, but everybody else. They delivered unto them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and the elders which were at Jerusalem. And so, verse five says, so were the churches established. As they heard the message of grace, they were strengthened in their beliefs is what that means. They were strengthened in their faith and in the faith, in their beliefs and what the word said. And they increased in number daily. And guess what? Wherever grace goes, it's good news, isn't it? Our world needs some good news right now, doesn't it? Our world needs a lot of good news because we've got a lot of bad news going on right now. Jesus is great news. The gospel of grace is great news. Well, verse six, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the spirit suffered them not. And so Paul, in his mind, he's moving on this trek, going back to the old churches. And when he finishes there, he thinks, well, man, let's keep going west and let's go to Ephesus, which is where it mentions there when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And that's the province of Asia, which due west of where he had been at this point in time would have been Ephesus. Now, the Roman province of Galatia was so large it was broken into regions, Lycaonia, which we had mentioned earlier in Acts, being the southernmost part where Iconium and, and Lystra was and Derby was. And then Phrygia is just north of there. And so we don't know if Paul went northeast into the Armenian mountains or not. We don't know exactly where he went. But at some point, he then starts to go further west and he tries to head towards Ephesus. 
And so Paul's initial plan is let's go hit those major cities. But God had other plans for it says that they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now you'd wonder why God would forbid the word to be preached anywhere. But the Holy Spirit didn't want them to go in that direction. The word there, forbidden, means to be hindered or prevented. They were hindered and prevented from going in that direction. Now, how did the Holy Spirit keep Paul's team from going in this direction? Well, Paul describes a severe illness that took him during his time in Galatia. You can read the letter to the Galatians to see that. And some believe that this illness became what Paul described as his thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. And if you want to look that up, that's in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. You can do that on your own time. And if this is true, then the Western route to Ephesus was really rough terrain and may have become impossible to travel for him. So he, he continues up north along the road up north to, to Mysia, as we'll see in a moment. What I do think is kind of neat is that the Bible doesn't tell us how the Holy Spirit did it. I actually like that because that means we can trust that through whatever means, the Holy Spirit will direct us the same when we're going to go in a direction that God doesn't want us to. Isn't that good news? As you're walking with him, as you are seeking his face, as you're spending time with him, if you end up getting a little off course, the Lord will course correct you. And I love that about the Lord because we don't always hear perfectly, do we? You think the Lord's leading in this direction and then it turns out he, he wants to move you over here. But as long as you're walking with him, you'll end up where he wants you to be. We don't have to be stressed out about, oh, I don't haven't heard God's voice as of late. I'm not sure exactly what he wants me to do. Just keep walking with him. You'll be exactly where he wants you to be. See, what the enemy wants you to do is you get all frustrated and then you don't spend time in the word. You don't spend time in prayer. And then you don't end up where you're supposed to be because you're not walking with the Lord. So here's a good question then. How do you tell the difference between an open door that just has obstacles that you need to persevere through and the Lord closing a door? <laughs> That's the hard part, isn't it? Well, let me tell you what, if you're walking in step with him and you're seeking his face, you're going to end up exactly where he wants you to be. Because here's the truth. If that door that you look at and you say, Lord, I think you want me to walk through this door. I just think there's some obstacles in front of me. You want me to persevere through? I'm going to go for it. And you step out in faith and it's not the Lord. Then the Lord's just going to go, no, 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 son. No, 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 daughter. That's, that was a closed door. And, and he's going to close the door and he's going to redirect you. Don't you think he loves you? Don't you think that he cares about you? He loved you enough that he bled for you. He wore a crown of thorns. I have it in my office. A friend of mine went to Israel and I, he said, can I bring you back anything? And I said, yeah. I said, I'd like some thorns. And every time I see those thick, long thorns, I think he bore them for me. How gracious he is. How kind he is. How tender he is. He's not frustrated by the fact, you know, what does the Bible say? He knows our frame that we're simply dust, right? And here's Paul. Hey, I want to go to Ephesus. And the Lord's like, not Ephesus. I'm thinking Europe. <laughs> and, and that's okay. He's going to try to go in another direction. That's not the Lord. And the Lord will redirect him where he's supposed to be. Because as you just walk with him, you'll end up where he wants you to be. If you're off the path and not exactly where you're supposed to be, he'll of course correct you and redirect you. And so after verse seven, they were come to Mysia, which is right there in the north of Asia Minor. They assayed, they attempted to go into Bithynia. And the word here is in the imperfect, which means they kept trying. They kept making an effort to go into Bithynia. And this is now, Paul says, well, West didn't work. Well, I'm going to go East. And so he's thinking to go into that region of Armenia, south of the Black Sea. I'm going to go that direction. But it says here that the spirit suffered them not. 
Now, again, why didn't God want Paul to go into these regions? Why does he want his team to minister the gospel there? We don't know. However, we do know that God did not leave these regions without a messenger because if you read the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we see that Peter ministered to these areas and then he writes that first letter to them. So we don't know if that's where Peter eventually disappeared to after Herod tried to kill him. And then the only time we see him again is at the council or the, the meeting in Jerusalem. And then now he's off to that, maybe that region of Asia Minor. I don't know. But you know, what's interesting is that it means that God's call is about the right man, the right place, and the right time. You know, Moses was the right man, right? But when he went to go kill the Egyptian, that was the wrong place and the wrong time, right? Right man, but the wrong place and the wrong time. Remember Mary, when she goes and she brings Jesus and, and, and to have him you know, dedicated to the Lord. And then Simeon comes out and he prophesies. And then Anna comes out and she holds him and she says all these things about him. And what does Mary do? It says she hid those things in her heart, right? And then remember she came to him during the wedding, said, hey, son, you need to do something about this. And he's like, you gotta love the King James woman. <laughs> that is a term of dearest respect. It's like, mom, ma'am, <laughs> that's what he's saying. Ma'am, you know my time's not yet. Jesus, many times they would try to kill him, and, but his time wasn't yet. But Mary, who hid those things in her heart. You know, she could have been walking around going, my kid's the Messiah, my kid's the Messiah. Hey, my kid's the Messiah. These other four boys I don't know about, but my, this guy, he's the Messiah. But she hid him in her heart. And sometimes I think as men in particular, in our, in our world of, you know, you know, fast food, everything, you know, where you can get, I mean, I, I was seeing today, there's technology now, you can wear a glove, it's in development. You wear a glove and it's, it's called like life track or life, something like this. You wear a glove and it has a camera on it. And wherever you go, it records everything. It just, your whole day is recorded. And then when you get home during the day, you take the glove off and you USB it to your computer and it uploads it to the cloud. And what you can do is you can say, give me the memory from 19, you know, or 2015, you know, February, whatever. And then your whole day will come up. It's got a search engine. You could say, you know, what, I remember when somebody, you know, threw up at the birthday party. Can you show that? You know, and, 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 and you, yeah, you're like, why did you pick that? Uh, yeah. Anyway, you know, still a work in progress. So, <clears throat> so that time that you, you know, proposed to your future wife and it would call up the memory, right? Well, you couldn't remember what day it was. Not a good idea, man. You know, but, but uh, you know, you couldn't remember what day it was, call up the memory, you know? We, we have this idea, we want everything now at our disposal, no patience whatsoever, you know, no searching required. We want it now, you know? And, and, and the call of God just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. There's always a time of preparation. There's always a time of breaking. There's always a time where God has that's perfect. And so, you know, it wasn't Paul's calling. The place was not to go that way. God had somebody else he wanted to go there. And so verse eight says, and they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. They do a 180 and they head back toward the Mediterranean coastline. And then they go south to the city of Troas where God finally gives them clear direction. And so it says in verse nine, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So immediately this guy is 
pleading. He has this vision where he's there and he sees this guy pleading with them to come and to share the gospel with them, to come and help them, appealing to him. And immediately when Paul, he knows what he's supposed to do, he goes for it right away. And you know what? I love that about Paul because maybe he's a bit cantankerous and even stubborn as we'll see later in the book of Acts. His loyalty to the Lord and his unswerving desire to obey is unparalleled. And I want to be like that. Paul will later tell the Corinthians, the love of Christ constrains me. For him, there was no viable option but to go all in for Jesus. He will tell the Romans, therefore, my beloved brethren, and he says, in light of the mercies of God, I beseech you, I plead with you, I beg you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. To surrender your life, to be all in for him, nothing held back whatsoever. He says, that's the right response to all that God has done for you, all the mercy that he's shown you. May that be our heart as well in light of Jesus's love for us. Now, real quick, before we move on, notice it mentions here in verse 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored. You notice the change from we to they? This is where Paul joins the team. And that kind of makes sense if Paul was suffering from a reoccurring illness, that for him to take Luke on to the team with him. So, It says, after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us, had called, perfect tense, which means this is where the Lord had wanted them to go from the beginning. This is where the Lord had called them to go from the beginning. He had always been saying this. And this goes to show that God isn't silent in what he wants us to do. It's just that we can be hard of hearing sometimes, right? Sometimes we have a lot of noise, don't we? You know? Other times, it's just figuring out what God wants as part of our growth process, right? It's not about the destination. It's about the journey because in the journey is where the relationship is forged, you know? In my marriage, you know, I'm not longing to get to the time when, you know, we we turn, you know, 95, 100, 110, and and we finally go be with Jesus and our marriage is ended, you know? I'm not looking forward to the end of our marriage, but sometimes in life, we tend to look at it that way as a, the destination is about everything. I'm in for the journey and it's a good journey, you know? It's a good journey with him. And part of that process is sometimes figuring out what he wants us to do. That's how he grows us and we learn to trust him. And so we see here that the gospel is going to go to Europe. Therefore, loosing from Troas, Troas would be right there on the the Mediterranean coast. In fact, it was about 10 miles south of the city of Troy. It was named after the city of Troy. And it was a massive seaport and also was the shortest and easiest route from Asia to Europe. Isn't that cool that God got him to Troas and then he told him, he made it very clear what to do. Hey, Paul, now you're in the city with the shortest trip to where I want you to go. And so Paul, they launch off and we came with a straight course to Samothracia, which is an island northwest of Troas on the way to Europe. And the next day we came to Neapolis. Neapolis means new city. In fact, if you go all over the Roman empire, you find all a bunch of cities named Neapolis. This one was the port city for Philippi because Philippi was about 10 miles inland. So you would get off at the port and then you would make your way inland to Philippi. And from there, verse 12, it says, we went to Philippi. So thus the gospel sets its first feet into Europe. Paul had big plans and his desire to go to Ephesus, but God's plans were even more far-reaching. Isn't that cool? Sometimes we limit God because our idea of what we want to do seems bigger than what it seems like God wants us to do. And then God finally opens up all the petals of the flower and we go, oh, well, that's way better than what I thought. (laughs) But we have to wait on him. 
Now it says, from there they went to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Philippi was named after the father of Alexander the Great, Philip II of Macedon, who conquered it. He made it a military stronghold. 200 years later, it became the chief city of one of the four Roman districts of the province of Macedonia. And it was a military post for troops between Europe and Asia. So it was a military city. It was a distinct city in that it possessed a, a, a Roman pride. It was not a foreign city. Most of the people there were transported citizens from Rome, whether they were military or ex-military, where they settled down there. The people there viewed themselves as Italian Romans, despite being far from Italy. And that will come into play as we not today, but later on we get to the other events that occur here in Philippi. It was a colony, which means it was tax exempt. The language would be Latin. Again, it was a very Roman city. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside. Now, Paul and his team are kind of hanging out there in Philippi. And the question is, well, what now? I mean, Paul's normal routine was go find a synagogue, attend it with the purpose of telling, you know, hey, I'm Paul. Oh, wow, Paul, we have a really cool guy who can, you know, be a guest speaker today. Paul, would you share with us? Sure, let me tell you about Jesus. That was his normal plan. And so he would go there with the purpose of telling these Jews first about Jesus. But the further and further Paul would get away from Jerusalem, it would be harder to do that because he'd find fewer Jews. See, the rule of the rabbis required 10 Jewish men to be in a city to constitute a synagogue. That Philippi did not have a synagogue shows how few Jewish people live there. In fact, we're going to see in a moment that many of the Jews that were even gathering at all here, they were converts, Gentile converts to Judaism. So very few hardcore Jews were there. Now, it was common in these situations for the Jews of the city to gather near the seashore or a river for prayer. So that's where Paul goes in the Sabbath. No synagogue here. So let me go check out the nearest body of water. And so that's what he says he does. He went out of the city by a riverside. Now, the Ganges was a tiny river one mile to the west of the city. And, and there it mentions that Paul, it says, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down, we spoke unto the women which resorted there. So Paul, he goes there and he finds uh, a bunch of gals praying. And each member of his team, it says, they began to speak to him, uh, to them. They spoke unto the women. The spake there is in plural. So they all were sharing. His whole team was sharing. And you know, I love that about Paul because it didn't matter to him whether this, the entire city was gathered to listen or he could share with just a few ladies. This was a small start to the European outreach, but it was glorious. And I want to encourage you, don't ever despise a small realm of influence. Most of us will operate in the small realm of influence because most people become believers through one-on-one -on -one interaction, not through crowds. 90% of people get saved because someone invited them or told them about Christ. Only 10% of the people that came to Christ do so through an altar call to service or through a big group gathering. And so it mentions here in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worship God heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. This woman, Lydia from Thyatira, a city back in Asia Minor near Ephesus, Homer in the Iliad, he mentions their famed purple dye and dye guilds, and she's most likely one of their dealers. And her travels took her to Philippi. But little did she know that the Lord was lining up her trip with Paul's arrival in order that she would hear the gospel and become the first believer in Europe. It mentions that she worshiped God, which is a catchphrase, which means that she was a Gentile who became a proselyte to the Jewish faith. And as Paul is preaching, she is just fixed. 
the Lord is speaking to her. And it mentions here whose heart the Lord had opened. While she listened, the Lord gave her the ability to understand. That's what the word open means. It means to cause someone's mind to expand like a folding door, to rouse in one the faculty of understanding. That's exactly what Jesus did. You remember when he walked on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples? And it says he opened their eyes to the scriptures as he expounded to them from the very beginning to all the prophets. And you know, if you ever wondered, say, how do I pray for that lost loved one or that lost coworker? Our number one prayer concerning the lost needs to be, God, will you open their eyes? Second Corinthians chapter four, you can write it down to look at it later because we need to get finished here. But it says, if our gospel, chapter four, verses three through six of second Corinthians says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them, which do not believe lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God should shine unto them. So the unbeliever has been blinded by the enemy so that the gospel light cannot penetrate it. So what do we have to do? We have to pray that God in verse six, it says for God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When you're praying for a lost loved one or a lost neighbor or a lost coworker, pray, God, will you please take the blinders off their eyes and shine your light into their heart so that when we converse, they can understand the gospel. That's how we need to pray for the lost, you know? Pray for them that way. And I think you'll find your prayers be a little bit more effective. And as Paul's speaking, she totally grasps what he says. And verse 15 says, when she was baptized, so we know she believed because he wouldn't baptize a non-believer. When she was baptized and her household. So when she got saved, she told her entire business team and they got saved too. Everybody, the household just means those who were staying with her. It says, she besought us saying, hey, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come into my house and stay there. And she constrained us. Lydia was used to making a sale and she put that skill to good use in getting Paul and his team to stay with her while he ministered in Philippi. And so what a beautiful thing here that Paul is not sure what to do. You know, they're kind of just hanging out for a few days and goes down to the river, leads this woman to Christ. And now her home becomes a base of operations for the ministry there. Now, we don't know how many others got saved, but eventually it grew into a church. One that Paul called his crown and joy among all the churches that he'd planted. In Philippians 4.1, he calls them that. And this little church became the only one that financially supported him in this region, even giving to support ministries and other churches. You can read about that in Philippians 4.15. Don't ever despise the day of small beginnings. Philippians chapter one, and you can turn there. We have a famous verse that we all quote, but it's in light of these people that he was ministering to here just now in this very small start in Lydia's home. In Philippians chapter one, verses three through six. This is what Paul has to say. Philippians 1, 3 through 6, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's remembering that first day. Being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a good verse, isn't it? And it's in light of the work that God did here in Philippi. So let me ask you a question. Who out there in your life is in need of Christ? You know, some of us may never travel to another continent to do an evangelistic outreach, but we all have people around us who need Jesus. 
Do you look at your job as a mission field? How about the daily activities that take you out and about? God called Paul's team to Europe. God has called you and your family to whatever address you live at right now. And God's desire, as we read in our scripture reading this morning in 1 Timothy 2, is that all men would be saved. So pray, pray for those people, love them, share the gospel, live obediently. And as we're about to do this morning, never forget what Jesus did for you. Amen? Amen. We're about to enter into holy ground, the place where we remind ourselves of what you did for us, that it was our sin that nailed you to that tree. And Lord, it is our desire today to be reminded, to be stirred up, Lord, that like Paul urged Timothy, would stir up the gifts that you have given to us. It would stir up the faith and the obedience, Lord, that you have called us to, to share with others. Lord, that we might stand in the gap for them. We might get on our face and pray for them, Lord, that we would pray for your light to shine into their hearts, that we would love them, that we would serve them, Lord, that we would live obediently before them. Lord, we need a fresh understanding of what you did for us on the cross if we're going to do that. So Lord, we dedicate this time to you now to remember you in Jesus' name. We often try to act like the masters of our own destiny. But the reality is that it is God who directs our every step. If we let him, he will guide us to becoming effective, loving, faithful servants of him, blessing everyone around us. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.